Hello everyone and welcome fellow piercers and piercing enthusiasts to Real Talk, a piercing podcast from the minds of piercing professionals on the body modification industry and culture. Each episode we will center on a common theme with a guest. We will cover topics including things such as piercing methods, industry topics, jewelry, and trends. I'm your host Will Von Doom, a professional body piercer and proud member of the Association of Professional Piercers. So let's get straight to the point and dive into this week's topic. In this week's episode, we speak with the owner of Goldheart Woodworks and Bella Fine Jewelry and Piercing, Derek Ian. Based in Asheville, North Carolina, Derek handcrafts beautiful, unique pieces alongside his family while trying to balance being a dad, owning a studio, and being a woodworker. We take some time to talk about starting from scratch, the birth of designs, and the heart and soul that goes into every handcrafted piece. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's topic. Thanks, Will. Uh, yeah, my name is Derek Ian. Uh, I am the owner of Goldheart Woodworks and, as you said, Bella Fine Jewelry and Piercing, both located here in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. So, yeah. Right. For our listeners here, I'm just going to go ahead and talk a little bit about why I wanted to have you on the show. And that is because you make these beautiful hand-carved, handmade displays which we have been seeing lately across shops across the country, to be honest with you. And almost in every high-end studio that I've been to, I've seen one, if not multiple, of your pieces. So why don't you tell us how you got started in woodmaking and making those displays? So as far as wood, actually woodworking goes, uh, I've been doing that kind of my whole life. It really started with me being on the job site with my dad, who was a single dad. And if he didn't have a babysitter, he would just bring me to work with him as a construction worker. And once I was big enough to basically help start cleaning up the job site, he made me the... Uh, the helper slash uh, custodian of scraps. And, um, and once I was big enough and I became bored enough from doing all the dirty work like that, you know, he eventually, you know, gave me his, uh, oldest junkie saw, uh, a hammer and a couple nails. And then I just started like taking those scraps and putting them together and making just like dumb kid stuff, like wooden swords and things like that. So, I mean, I guess it kind of like dates back to that. Once I got into junior high school back in the day, I don't know know if they still offer these things in school but they actually offered in junior high school woodworking classes and of all the elective type classes that is that was my uh most interested one and so I kind of started with that and then followed that in high school and then took kind of a big break from it actually until just a few years ago okay kind of like you were born into it and just kind of rolled with it as as you got older yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I was born into it in a sense. And then so I lived in New Mexico uh, years back and I guess a little bit of a background. So I had kind of a whole life before I was actually a piercer and a, a woodworker for many, many years. I was a, a bartender and a DJ, actually. And once I hit my mid 30s, I decided that I needed to switch that up and do something different. So um, I actually went back to 
then I quit doing that stuff and I went to school at the University of New Mexico for sustainable building, uh, like green building, solar uh, building, um, things like that. And I was also taking woodworking classes through the university. Shortly after starting that, I actually started my piercing apprenticeship at a shop in, in Taos, New Mexico. So once I started my piercing apprenticeship, I actually realized that that's what I really wanted to do. And I dropped all of my sustainable building classes and transferred them all to woodworking classes. So I was taking like in the morning, I would take like woodworking classes from eight in the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would leave and then go to the shop and then work from anywhere from three to four until I think the shop was open until 10 or something like that. So I was doing full-time school and then full-time piercing apprenticeship. And all the times that we've hung out, we've discussed this a lot too. We both got into the game very late. I got into it around 25. You got into it around 30. I was funeral directing and going to school for various things at that time too. So I understand I'm going to wake up at eight and I'm going to go to sleep at 10 or 12 o'clock at night because I want to be able to do both things. Yeah, absolutely. That's just kind of how it went. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what actually goes into making one of your beautiful pieces from start to finish? Do you just grab like a random piece of lumber? Do you choose certain woods? Is there like a sketched out design process? How do you go about doing that? So there's been an evolution, obviously, to my displays from when I first started making them until what they look like now. And if you look back at the ones that I was making two and a half years ago when I started these, they are, the wood is um, what is called spalted. So it's got like a whole bunch of different natural features, like spotted grain and things like that, that look really beautiful, but were also kind of distracting from the jewelry. So uh, anyway, basically what I, the wood I was finding then was random chunks of wood big slabs of live edge is what we call it in the world woodworking world and things like that now i basically have two lumber yards here in uh asheville and one's in, in actually in downtown asheville the other one's in uh, surrounding area and these places specialize in local hardwood so they're kind of more sources for fine woodworking, if you will. And the wood that I use is actually pretty much about 80% of it is indigenous and local to the area. And I believe a lot of it is sourced within 50 miles of Asheville. So, which is something that just knowing that kind of makes me feel good about, you know, the locally sourced wood and things like that. And also it's sustainably sourced as well. So a lot of it is wood that is found that's been fallen and things like that. They're not like farming walnuts and farming maple and, and stuff like that. You know, this is all trees that have already basically died. I think it's really important choosing certain materials that are very important to you because you kind of put your a little bit of yourself into your designs and into your work, or at least you should be doing that. And especially it's like a moment of pride to something where you are just makes it a little extra special in my book. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's always been one of my loves for woodworking anyway, is that every piece of uh, wood and material that I use is completely different. So, you know, it'd be the same thing for someone that makes um, wood plugs or something like that, you know, you're not going to have any two of something is going to be exactly the same. And so basically the beginning process is me 
going to the lumber yard and really kind of like just walking around and taking a look at, uh, you know, what they have. Um, so that's a really exciting part for me. And I've established a relationship with, the. Uh, the owners, both of the lumber owners are companies, the businesses are family owned as well. So that's also super cool. But yeah, go in and I'll just kind of like basically handpick different pieces. And I might see a piece that I think is starting to look good. And then I realize that there's a big split that goes down the middle of it. Or I kind of like am not really digging the way the grain looks on it and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the that's kind of the start to all of it. Gotcha. Now that we know the materials that you've selected, why don't you tell us how you go about designing that incredibly unique shape that's very specific to Goldheart Woodworks? So basically, I get the wood, I bring it home. A lot of the lumber that I get from one place that I get it is rough, is what's considered rough cut. And then from the other place has already been planed. So if it's rough, I bring it home, I plane it. So I'm basically doing like a final mill of the wood itself. And I'm getting these boards. They're usually about 12 inches wide by 12 to 14 feet long and, you know, about two inches thick. So these are big, heavy slabs of wood. So when you're seeing these little like pyramid displays that I make, and these came all came from this giant piece of maple or cherry or walnut or ash, which are the four standard woods that I've been using. So yeah, basically mill it down. I'll cut it into lengths. You know, I've got my dimensions kind of down on what uh, I need, how I need to cut things to get the most usable wood and the less uh, amount of, or the least amount of waste out of it. And I make, I just start making my rough cuts and then I basically cut, cut it all to the dimension of what ends up being how tall the displays are. And then I basically have my 45 on that, which is the, on most of my displays, uh, have a 45 degree angle. So on, I've got that face cut going. And then that's when I go through and just basically size everything up on the specifically different shapes that I have. That's really interesting because, you know, we, we see the final product. We see exactly what is the end process. So we never really get to see it comes from. So it's really interesting to think about all these small, intricate things that we use, such as a barbell for body or display, and think that it's cut from a hunk of the raw material itself. And there's like artistic ability taking that product and putting it in another finished product so that then we can fill it with jewelry and everything like that and make our final product. I think it's really interesting to see or hear how we go step by step by step. Yeah, I mean, and I appreciate those words. I mean, honestly, it is very, very time consuming. And so that's the beginning process. I do all of this stuff, which basically creates a lot of sawdust. I do all of that out in my wood shop that I have that's um, in my backyard. Basically, it's a separate building. And that's where I make the most mess, if you will, and get covered in sawdust. And then I'll basically, after I've gotten my shapes down, I then take it to a belt sander where I'd give it a first sanding, if you will, where I'm taking off like the actual chop saw edges or the rough uh, ends from it being cut. And then, um, you know, each piece. And if you go on my Instagram, on my Goldheart Woodworks Instagram, every once in a while, I'll post like, a picture of me working or different progress shots and stuff like that. So you can like see 
I think recently I put one up of me holding like an individual piece on the belt sander. And that's the first stage of sanding. So I'll do a lot of times I'll do big batches of like the pyramids. I'll take that. I'll take those displays. And then I take them into my house where I have a room in my house set up with two long workbenches. And that's basically my finishing area where then I hand sand everything. Everything is hand sanded. Every single edge of every single piece is sanded off or at least sanded smooth. And um, and then if I'm going to end up dyeing it black, I do that. Then I have to let it dry overnight. And then basically I put a top coat of, uh, it's like a really nice top coat that a satin finish. I put one top coat on and then I have to let that dry for sometimes up to two days. And then I go back and buff it with a really fine steel wool. And then I have to wipe all that stuff off. And then I hit it with the final top coat which is the most stressful one because I have to like be really, I have to pay a lot of attention to uh, drip and it took me a long time to really get that method down. So uh, yeah, each piece is, I mean, I've heard other jewelers and obviously at Bella, uh, we have our in-house jeweler, Alan, and I know how much goes into putting a piece and it's a lot of, it's a lot of work with a lot of jewelers. They're able to sit down and they can pretty much knock the piece out if they have the patience from, you know, start to finish in one session, which I'm not denying is a lot of work in its own, where with what I'm doing, I have to give it, you know, it comes in different stages and I have to give it time. Exactly. I have to give the displays time to cure before I can put that second top coat on. And honestly, I mean, I don't have... I don't have to take that final step and it's it is definitely a, a step that um can be a little bit nerve-wracking for me and takes a lot of time but i also feel like that's the step that really makes that product the final product look awesome yeah and i can agree with you on that going that little extra bit is what really defines you from you know other displays and i mean that's something that i take pride in my work too if i'm not going to do some 100 percent, so the absolute 100 percent of what needs to happen but that little bit of extra i don't want to do it because i'm not giving it my all and more yeah absolutely i mean i feel like you've got to especially with anything that's handmade or anything that comes from yourself, you know, it's going to have, you're going to have passion behind it and you have, uh, there's no shortcuts. Exactly. Yeah, there there really isn't. I mean, you could try to cut corners, but I mean, you're only cheating yourself. It's, it's only making you not be as great as it could be. And I mean, if you're going to put, you know, eight, 10 hours or, or even, even longer into making a piece, why are you going to cheat an extra half an hour when you've already spent that much time? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and honestly, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a woodworker, but I'm also a piercer and a shop owner. And that's where I kind of developed the hashtag piercer working for piercers. So this is coming from the mind of someone that kind of knows what we need. And I feel like my business plan with my woodworking company is similar to my mindset of when I'm in my studio and I'm with a client and, you know, not uh, taking any shortcuts. And also, once again, I've heard mentioned in other, uh, another episode when you had Jake on and you guys were talking about the difference between a good piercer and a great piercer mm -hmm. is admitting when you're wrong or you've made a mistake and then fixing that and basically like not letting, you know, not letting your client out the door, the bad piercing, same deal as I wouldn't like, I'm not gonna, I've had plenty of displays where I've gotten down to the final step and I screwed it up and it might've just been one little thing that I noticed. And I kind of thought, 
and it was maybe on the back of the display. And I'm like, man, my client wouldn't even notice that. And I, I mean, I have a, I have a pile of, of basically like fuck ups that are in a box that I just kind of look at and cringe sometimes, but they're also a reminder to me that I'm, I'm not going to send out a bad product. Right. That's something that I appreciate as a person who purchases your products. But in addition to that, too, having that reminder there in front of you, it is a daunting thing, but also it's a realistic thing. It's humbling because you see that sometimes it doesn't always go great. But on the same note, when you finish that product and it is amazing, you still have it in front of you. So you see, you know, mistakes made in the past, but they didn't keep you from moving forward. They kept you, They, if anything, and knowing you as a person, I know they gave you more drive to get it right the next 10 times because you had one mess up over something insignificant. Absolutely. And I mean, and honestly, in the beginning, even say a year and a half ago, I what I was doing was I was actually before the displays got got out to a whole lot of shops, I would pick like three to five shops that I had a lot of respect for, or I thought were uh, high end shops. Every week or two, I pick three to five shops and I would send them a sample of one pyramid and I'd pack it up really good. And I had a little note in there saying, hi, you know, my name's Eric Ian. I'm a piercer and blah, blah, blah. And I'll give them my whole kind of like spiel on what I was doing. Hey, I just want you to have this display, you know, take a look at it, put it in your case and let me know what you think kind of a deal. And so two things happen with that. One, a lot of people, uh, I got a really awesome response from it and a lot of people called me back and they were like damn it man thank you but i'm also damning you at the same time because now we have to buy a whole lot more because it made all of our acrylic displays or it made all those slabs of agate that we have our high-end jewelry just laying on you know just not look as good or whatever so that was awesome and that was kind of my intent but the other thing that happened was you know i even had a couple people send them back to me and say i appreciate you doing that. However, this thing about it seems a little bit rough or, you know, they gave me feedback and I love that. And I needed that feedback. I needed them to, I needed people to tell me what they did or did not like about it for me to, you know, keep improving it. Same deal forever learning, right? So you've got to keep, you've got to keep improving and stay on top of what you're doing. I can totally respect that. And it's also like I said, humbling to get critique and get criticism. And once you get that to take it, digest it, and then apply it to your product instead of getting upset that someone doesn't like a certain aspect about what you've made and what you've spent so much time. Absolutely. In my opinion, it really shows that the character of you as a person, but also you as a business owner, person who hates things, to take that and, and move forward, not kick stones, get upset. No, I mean, in turn, what I did was I would, I took in the critique that they gave me and I applied that. And then I just sent them back, you know, a whole new set or whatever it was. And, and actually overall, uh, you know, ended up working out and they were happy in the end. So that's great. I mean, it really is. It, sh- it shows that initiative and also that drive to make an amazing film. I know for a lot of our listeners, they have actually seen your displays. But when I think of Goldheart Woodworks, there's two displays that really come to mind to me. And that is the small pyramid. And then there is the... I, I don't know how to describe the shape. Oh, uh, that, that's called the there Morelli? Okay, so that the pyramid that you're talking about, I have the skinny pyramid and then I have what I call the true pyramid, which actually isn't a true pyramid because it doesn't have four 
equal sides. You know, uh, equal sides, which is actually in the works right now. But my flagship display, if you will, there's more of those out than anything else across the U.S. and and actually worldwide. The other display, the larger one that you're talking about, is the Morelli. And the reason why it's called the Morelli is I named it after the piercer Nathan Morelli, who years ago had ordered some displays from me. And then he said, can we collaborate on on a display? I need something that holds as many navel curves as possible. He's, I think he had like something like 300 different oh, navel wow. curves and does so many navel piercings at his shop. And I believe he had limited space and stuff like that. So that's where I ended up coming up with that design, which has evolved it used to be curved all of my displays used to have a bit of a curve to them and now they're a little more uh, angular but anyway yeah that's the morelli came from a collaboration with uh nathan morelli now my personal favorite is the skinny pyramid that you make and the reason why i love that piece so is because it allows you to really focus on amazing for example like i see a lot of people put you know septum jewelry type things like the the really elaborate clickers and things like that and gives them their own space to separate themselves from everything. Thank you. Yeah, that's kind of the purpose of that and was the intent behind that display was to, you know, so my whole kind of reason for making these was because it seemed like all of the displays before that you could get from the different companies that were made out of um, acrylic had all these multiple holes. And then say you fill, you've got a, p- a display that has 20 pieces of gold and each piece of gold uh you know you're retailing for say two to three hundred dollars but they're all kind of getting lost within themselves and i wanted to come up with something where we could take all of those individually beautiful pieces and give them and kind of like let them shine on their own yeah and you accomplished just that you really did. And I, I do have to say, and, we, and we'll get into this a little bit about Bella itself. Bella is an amazing shop. I do love visiting you quite a bit. Thank you. And I think one of the reasons why I like visiting it so much is it is very clean. It's very crisp. And across the, obviously at the counter, you have a space for jewelry. And then at the wall, you do have like two jewelry cabinets that are kind of built into the And on there are just those single, most of them are those single skinny pyramids. And each one has their piece. And it really, it's like looking at a library of jewelry because they're all individual. They're all eye-catching. Your eye goes to all of them. It's really quite amazing. Once you see all of these displays in an environment with themselves, it really accents and exaggerates. It really shows you how much difference a high-quality display with a theme that fits it really works for a studio yeah i mean i feel like once again you know and i'm not trying to beat a dead horse here but i feel like this jewelry that you know so say you're compare this jewelry to like a, a ferrari right if you go into a ferrari dealership they have those ferraris on like a car sized turntable and you walk in and that car is doing like a slow 360 and it's its own thing you know it's not like you're going to like a hyundai lot where they've got like a sea of of all of the same cars but just in different colors yeah you know what i mean and uh like kind of a deal like that and that's how i display my titanium cabs so titanium uh like you know opal cabs because they come in all the different sizes and the same color then i you know will go i'll have 20 or 30 of those on a display because it just makes more sense but when it comes to that super high-end gold piece you know that 
piece of jewelry, I feel like needs its own display. It needs to be, you need to focus on every little bit of what that jewelry is made yeah, up of. I, I completely agree with those statements. I, I really like what you're doing and I'm really excited to see where it goes. In the- Thanks, Will. I appreciate it. You know, the other thing you mentioned seeing all of those displays at the shop. So what we recently started doing at Bella is we, on all of the displays, we have the price on a tiny little sticker on the back of the display. So whereas my shop now is about 75% solid gold and 25% niobium and titanium on all of the gold pieces. Our clients, you know, we let them know, hey, if you see something, we'll go ahead and pull it out. So that's the great thing about the displays too, is you can pull the display out for the client. They can pick the display up. They can hold the display without having to touch the jewelry with their bare hands. Even with my threadless ends, they can even, as they always do, try to look at the back of it and figure out how it works. And with the, the infamous acrylic displays, they go to do that. And it's every piercer's nightmare. Everything falls out. Correct. So I've got the holes drilled small enough where they all fit in and they're not going to um, come out. So I've basically fixed that problem. But with having the price tag on the back of the display, they can still see the jewelry. They can fall in love with the jewelry. And then I don't have to, in my uh, piercers, we don't have to talk with them about money. They can have that conversation themselves. And it, we've found that it already makes everything so much more comfortable because they're not feeling pressured. Like we're trying to hit them with some sort of a sales tactic, which we don't anyway. But I feel like you can see when people see a piece of jewelry. And then when you tell them, oh, that piece is, you know, four or $500, you can sometimes kind of see them say, oh shit mm-hmm. in their head for a second. And I don't like to have to continue to talk about that with them. You know, I like the them. They know what how much money they have. They know what their budget is. So by having the, the price on the back of that display, they can have that whole conversation themselves. They can sort through it and decide whether they right. want it or not. And I, everyone does things a little bit differently. I'm, I'm a very big and very adamant fan of fall in love with the piece, not price. And you're, you're essentially doing that with people. And removing, at least this is how I perceive it, you're letting people fall in love with the piece still, and then they're able to see the price on the backside because it's not gaudy and the sticker's not like right on front of it or attached by some string. And then that removes them awkwardly being like, right. I want to ask you 15 times how much all these things are like are in your studio but by them just turning them they can actually see that too yeah that's it we don't we we never have to have the the price conversation with them i mean unless they bring it up and you know obviously you know there's always going to be the occasional haggler or whatever the other thing too is that we also don't have to if we're if you know we're busy we don't have to go under the pos and you know, flip through a thousand different pieces, trying to find the price on that one piece. We just, as we get the pieces in, we price them, put them on the display and then set them up. And then they're in the system, but we don't have to like take, take the time. We can take that time and, you know, be helping out other clients or doing whatever we have to do to keep the ship sailing smoothly. The last thing that I want to ask you about is, as we know, we work crazy schedules. We're working, you know, sometimes like 11 to 10 at night, or we're answering emails in the off time. We're trying to think about what we're planning in future, all those types of, how do you balance not only piercing and display making, but also your home life as well? Because it sounds like you got a lot of various occupations and skills and projects on your plate, but how do you make sure you have enough time to take care of it? Uh, I don't actually. 
No, that's actually something I'm starting to implement a little bit more in my life is I'm trying to have some self-care. Obviously, everyone should have that, but I've been kind of lacking in that department. I so I don't really find that I have any spare time ever recently. And, you know, even like just like just today, I just got back from doing a, a mini tour of and going to shops with displays that I already had made and kind of popping in to shops. I mean, I contacted them first. I didn't just knock on their door, but the dreaded cold sales. Call. Yeah, no, like the same thing. I'm doing like the same thing that any of the other like road reps kind of do. Now, I'm doing that as well. Every couple months, I'll, I'll kind of do something like that. But how do I balance that time? I don't know, man. I well, first off, at my studio, we're open seven days a week at Bella Fine Jewelry and Piercing. So, and I have three other piercers that are on staff. And you know, there's days that I've got two piercers on, and then there's a couple days a week that I just have one person in there. So that keeps all of them actually down to three to four day schedules, right? So they can stay crispy. And, you know, a big philosophy of mine is, is that um, as long as you keep your employees happy, mm -hmm. then your clients are going to be happy kind of a deal. And in many ways, but in one of those major ways is by them remaining, you know, rested and, and being able to have their own life. So we kind of have that locked down with the scheduling at the shop. So at Bella, uh, we've gotten a system down to where, you know, I can kind of come and go as I please or as I need to. On certain days, I'll go in and I've got like my days that I go in to do ordering, which I'll already have a, a basic list ready for me and stuff like that. So the piercing shop is is running pretty smoothly without me having to be there so much these days. As far as the woodworking goes, my father actually works for me now. So, you know, the busier I'm getting, I'm actually sending him orders. And what I do to break down some of my workload is, for instance, these pyramid displays. You know, I sell so many of those that, you know, I'll basically contact my dad and just give him a list of amounts of displays that I need and then he'll make them I'll receive them from him and then I'll do the final finishing touches like I'll set them with whatever whether they're going to be threadless or 16 or 14 gauge threaded or they're going to be um they're going to have the clips for rings or barbells or curves or whatever it is and then I felt them and then I sh send them out with what other whatever else is in the order. So basically, like with some of my ordering, I've got it down to where I'm doing mm -hmm. even almost more like quality control and then sending that out to, to clients. Anything that's more of a special order, like any of the Morellis, a lot of the shapes, uh, if, if clients need a specific amount of numbers and the display is going to be are going to vary in size, then I make all those totally myself by hand at my house. In our last episode, when I talked to Michael Knight, he was experiencing a very similar problem that you were. And that is the fact that he's starting to become going from the like smaller business to growing to a medium sized business. And with that, you have the growing pains of you just can't do everything yourself. And I think it's pretty rad that your dad is the one who started you down this path that gave you that interest to go forward and, and do woodworking. To have him work for you is just like this awesome, you know, circle of life type thing where we're getting now. I don't know if you thought about it, but it's basically, you know, two generation woodwork in your, in your displays themselves. Yeah, you know, you're you're right about that. And that's something that is very, uh, very dear to me. And also, um, so me and my dad, you know, we used to actually dream of and talk about having our, you know, father, son woodworking 
business. And it just like, I don't know, life happened and it just never really worked out. And now, you know, I was able to, um, he's much older, he's 70 years old. And uh, he is now he was kind of able to retire and stop swinging a hammer for a construction company and is now, you know, the other half of Goldheart Woodworks. So like the dream finally came true. It just took a really long time for it to happen. And so that's two generations. The other thing that's pretty neat is that my two and a half year old daughter, Bella, who I named the piercing studio after, she is so interested in how things work and in tools and stuff like that. And she reminds me of myself when I was a kid and she, you know, I'll, when I have her at my house, she'll, and if I'm, you know, uh, working on something and she's there, she'll come over and she'll, she's got her own stool and she'll slide her stool up and she'll hop up and she'll like try to put, and I'll let her do it too, or, you know, put the, like the little plastic clips in the holes and stuff like that. So it's like, it's actually already kind of moving on to three generations in a sense, which is uh, pretty awesome. That's amazing. Maybe it's the old man, you and I, but like, I love working with my family and I love talking to my family and just being around them. And, you know, there's been a few times where I come from a very large, uh, like fireman family. Like my dad has always been in, in that kind of role. So we've always, I, I've always referred to our family as a, uh, a working class family, but all of us are there to help people. And I know that people don't perceive like piercing, you know, a lot to be like a helping, helping people type thing. But, you know, some people do come to see us for if they're having problems or this is their release or, or something like that. I'm extremely jealous that you do get to work with your dad on that physical level. But this is maybe me being corny, but I really, I really like that thought a bit. And people ask me all the time, they're like, why are, why are you so happy? Why are you so positive? And, and don't get me wrong, I do get quite salty here and there. But when it, when it comes to me being optimistic on things, it's because of the way that I was raised, like the way that I was with my dad. Because when you're in those, you know, un- unfortunate like fire scenarios right. and stuff, yep. like everything can be gone the next day. Like it can just be like gone, you know. So I'm, I'm super happy when I wake up in the morning. I'm super happy when I get to pet my dogs. I get to kiss my wife. All these things make me super pumped. And that's that's in my mind, even though my dad's back in New York and I'm down in in Tennessee now. It's my way of working with my dad because I was raised that way. So I do have to say to you, I am super jealous that you get to work with your dad and your daughter. And I think that's just an amazing chapter in the book that is Gold Heart Woodworks because there's just so much positivity. There's so much love and you're just coming out with these amazing products. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. You know, and the other thing, so my dad's really super pumped on the whole thing as well. And, um, I just saw him uh, a couple days ago and he said to me, he said, next, next conference I'm coming. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, we'll see. He's like, well, if not the, the next one, then the, the one after that, but he's like, I, you know, I want to be there. And I'm like, that's great, dad. Like, you know, you, we're, we're going to make that happen then, at, you know, at some point. And, and so with the woodworking, with the company, um, just like any other company, just like any jewelry company where maybe every year or uh, however often it is, you have to come up with new designs, right? You've got to stay on top of it. You have to keep it fresh for a few reasons. One, because that is just how it naturally happens when you're passionate about something. Mm -hmm. Two, you're going to have people that are kind of like biting at your ankles a little bit 
and starting to try to do something similar to what you're doing. So you have to keep things fresh in that sense. And then three for obviously for uh, maybe in no particular order here, but, you know, our our clients want to see that, you know, they want to see something new coming out. So I'm that's where like every year uh, at conference now I'm trying to come with. Uh, a new thing. This year, I brought uh, a new shape that I actually uh, was was born from uh, a collaboration with Sarah from Dorje, and that's called the Obelisk shape, which I haven't even really pumped it a lot on social media yet. I'm working on a whole bunch of them right now and putting the final touches on them. But right now, Dorje is the only shop that has this new shape in their studio. The um, the other thing that I introduced this year was the logo laser engraving. And so, you know, I'm going to make an effort to constantly be coming up with new designs and stuff via feedback from other piercers, shop owners, and also my dad. So my father is, he's so pumped about this whole thing that he, when I just saw him, saw him a couple of days ago, he had already made prototypes on his own that he didn't tell me about and waited until I got there and was like, I don't know if you remember, uh, well, you probably do, but you know, the movie, uh, gremlins. Oh, so I the dad in gremlins, who was the inventor, who was like, so pumped on his inventions. That's what my dad reminded me of when I saw him because he got this like big cheesy grin and he's like, I got to show you something and like pulled out this box of all these like new kind of prototype designs. And, some of them I was like, yeah, and a couple others I was like, that's amazing. We're going to implement that. So those things will all be introduced here soon in the future. I think that's just rad. Going from scraps of wood as a kid, working with your dad, to now with your dad showing you new designs for you to make in the future is just is just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's totally cool, man. I feel very happy about uh, what's going on. Episode, we always get a few questions from our listeners and fellow piercers and, and piercing super fans. So this one is from a piercer in our community and they went ahead and they asked me, I recently created a unique Instagram slash Facebook photo layout. I discovered that a lot of people have started to copy it. It makes me really upset. Should I call them out? What would you do? And I think this is a perfect question to answer on the show because it's something that we're seeing a lot. Because in the digital age, everything is so widespread and so received that a lot of people will take it and be like, that's my idea. I'm going to claim it. But it also applies to when we go ahead and have products made so that people copy them. I know um, Derek has a little bit of experience with this, so I'm going to let him go and talk about it a little bit. And then I'm going to chime in on the end there. So go for it, Derek. So what would what would I do if I was in that position? I yeah. mean, it's the perfect opportunity to burn someone's house down. No, I'm totally kidding. Um uh, you know, I mean, so, you know, there's a bunch of things that you can do or a person can do when they're faced with something like that. And I think it's all about, I think the first thing that you need to do is not act on emotion and uh, really sit back and uh, take a, once you discover this thing is happening, maybe take a few days to uh, let you know, like marinate on it a bit. I am I'm always a big fan of direct contact. So like, you know, everything that we do, so the internet is very real and everything that we do, there's 
there's a person behind every keyboard, right? So, or, you know, holding a phone or whatever. So, you know, you could, you could direct message them and you could uh, ask them about it or kind of call them out on it that way. If that's the approach you want to take. I'm not by any means big on blasting anyone for something like that. Like, I think that's a really good way of just making yourself look bad in the long run. Nothing positive is going to come out of that. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I think a direct message, if you want to be confrontational, is the best way to go about it. You could also, I mean, you know, I'll tell you, sometimes when I see a whole lot of stuff on the Internet, I don't want to see. I'm a real big fan of the block button, I have to say. You know, you can just easily block somebody and that way you just don't have to see something that's not making you feel good. So you never have to give anyone a reason, you know, why you're blocking them or whatever. So, um, I mean, that's kind of why that functions there, in my opinion. Or you can just kind of forget about it and and move on, you know. Um, I definitely have, since I've been making these displays, there's been a few a few times where um, certain folks have, you know, done some direct copies of my designs or something really close or something almost exact. And, you know, I either direct message them and had a conversation or I just, you know, just kind of moved on. I mean, what are you going to do, you know? I think that's a really responsible, adult, professional way to go about this issue. When it when it comes to, the, like you said, when it comes to the internet, like emotions are real. It is foolish that we're getting super upset about something that we saw that like is thousands of miles away from us, but but it's important to us. So I understand when people get upset and things like that, but like you said, chill out. Take a little bit of time if you want to contact them. I think that's a really good way to go about doing it. Putting people on blast is a, is a terrible idea. I remember when I was younger, my grandfather always used to say, if you're not one of the two people that are arguing, you both look wrong. So it's not going to help anybody to just go ahead and, and like be like, this person is stealing my idea. Or this person is copying me doing this or that. You know, it's, it's just going to make you both look, be cast in a negative light. And then you can do... Well, what I was, I was going to interject also, I was going to say, also what you're doing is you're also promoting them. So... Like, you know, once again, there has been another company that uh, took like my flagship design and they started making that design. And I got really internally upset about it because this is something that has come from me. You know, that was that was where my emotion kicked in. I'm like, how could they do this? Like, you know, this is something that I made up from my mind or whatever, you know, and this this came from within inside of me. So who are they to take this and, you know, uh, make it their own? Um, and then I wanted to like, you know, you know, put them on blast or whatever. I didn't, you know, for once again, you know, same reasons that it's not, you're, you're not going to look good doing it, but you're also going to be promoting them. Right. That's completely true. <laughs> you're going to draw attention to something that you don't want attention drawn to. And, and let's be real. Like drama is just something that, you know, humans are naturally interested in. Unfortunately, it's just something that we do nowadays. So if someone was arguing with someone over something and had an example of it, of course, I'm going to go look at the example, which is the exact wrong thing that you want to do. But I'm going to speak. I'm going to speak about you in this situation. And what I saw you do is the best thing, in my opinion, that you can do. And that is do not stop what you're doing and keep doing it as well as you can. That's it. And I and I saw you do it. Like, I remember talking to you when this situation did come up. It sucked. I mean, 
I, I'm there to listen, but I, I, you know, can't really help you out. But at the same note, you, you said to me, you were like, you know what I'll do? I'll just keep making them. I'll make them better and I'll keep making them better and they'll consistently be better. And that went ahead and it didn't remove the problem, but it's, it's one of those things you're like, why am I going to buy this knockoff when I can have the actual thing from the guy who made it? And it's 12,000 times better than the other person's. And also being at conference and being very involved uh, and being on the road and stopping into shops and sending people uh, samples and just being very involved, I think, and staying positive about everything. Um, people can feel that and they see that. And I think, you know, with, uh, you know, I'll be at conference every year and um, the past two years, I've been splitting a booth with someone this next year coming up, I'm going to have my own booth. And, you know, every year I'm bringing twice as, as much as I brought the year before and, and things like that. So it's like, you know, the other thing too, is with the whole, with the whole like knockoff thing, it's like, you know, not to name any names, but there's obviously like jewelry companies out there that, uh, a lot of people are supporting because they're awesome. And then there's the companies that are obviously doing a really super cheap knockoff of that, that like, that will even still appear or in past years have appeared at conference that were just had this like invisible like dome around them that no one would even get near you know what i mean yeah that's a big thing too like if you me personally if i see someone copying whether it be a jewelry design whether it be you know display product like yours whether it be like a logo or something like that i'm not gonna send clients there right because that is uh, that is a you know a taste of that person's character and if they're going to not respect someone's like love, design, time, effort to make some, I'm not going to send them something to make, to get them to make money because I don't want my clients to be around an individual like that because I don't think it's. Her. Yeah, totally. And I can absolutely respect that. So I think that really covers it. I mean, you know, people are going to copy. It's just something that they do because copying is a lot easier than going ahead and coming up with something on your own. But with Danny and Sarah, we discussed that as as designers, how terrible it feels to have someone take your work and not give you credit and copy and use it to profit themselves. That's a terrible thing to do. And you should feel bad about doing that. So hopefully maybe you're one of those people that listen to this. Like, just stop. Just stop, you know? And if you feel really bad about it, go ahead and like send an apology, write a letter, those, those types of things really matter and will attest the character that you have because maybe you're in too deep and you've been making them for too long or you've been stealing designs from people. Like, just don't do it. And and just try to try to improve yourself and maybe the next day you wake up will be a complete change of your personality and you'll just move in there just be another person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's all about um, innovation, creativity, originality. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't, you're not possessing those things. I mean, you're the person that has to live with your own self. So. Well, folks, thanks so much for tuning in for this week's interview with Derek. I always enjoy talking with him about the industry and life in general. I think I'm going to try and visit him and his fine crew in Asheville in the near future. I can't wait to see what this family of woodworkers will bring to this industry. 
You can find Derek's social media information for Bella Fine Jewelry and Piercing and Goldheart Woodworks in this week's show notes. Please make sure to take a moment and follow him to see his beautiful studio and also the amazing displays we discussed. If you're a piercer and are looking to purchase some of these pieces, send him an email for pricing and availability. To ask questions, suggest topics, or get more info about your host or today's guest, please visit us at realtalkpiercingpodcast.com. If you have a moment and enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guest are their own and do not represent the official position of the Association of Professional Piercers or their places of employment. Music by Broke for Free.